Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's start here, where I think the answer begins for everything and everybody in the place of acknowledgement. Indigenous peoples in this country have taught me the most about what acknowledgement truly means. So everything that I've created for you happened here on Treaty 7 land, which is now known as the center part of the province of Alberta. It is home to the Blackfoot Confederacy, made up of the Siksika, the Kainai, the Pikani, the Tatina First Nation, the Stony Nakoda First Nation, and the Métis Nation Region 3. It is always my honor, my privilege mostly, to raise my babies on this land where so much sacrifice was made, and to build a community, invite a community in, talk about hard things, as we together learn and unlearn about the most important things, that we were never meant to do any of this alone. Oh my goodness, friends. Welcome back. Welcome in to the Everyone Comes From Somewhere podcast. Uh, I am so grateful uh, that you are back here again. And if this is your first time, buckle up because do I got a guest for you today. Uh, I've been on this fellow's podcast uh, quite some time ago. And in some of the favorite work that I that I get to do, if I could sort of pick two groups of people, it would be first responders and teachers because I think most importantly, first responders spend a lot of time walking people home. And one of the only reasons we need the services of first responders often is because somebody is in a dysregulated state. And this guest, Mark Menke, uh, who you get to sit with today, is just that. He's an Army veteran, a creator of Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast, uh, an award-winning author of Why Not Me, The Keys to Unlock Your Power and Release Your Potential. We have had many conversations around PTSD and what that looks like and how it can bust apart families and systems and, you know, what organizations uh, who employ first responders may be need to be responsible for. And uh, I'm, I'm Mark, I'm so excited you're here. And as you know, um, this podcast for me is all about where you came from, uh, because I know to the core of me that we're way more alike than we are different. And maybe most importantly, the difference between empathy and judgment often lies in understanding where another comes from. So tell me, Mark Menke, where would we start with you? Where have you came from? I came out of the generosity of my biological mother who gave me up for adoption. Ooh, right out of the gate, Mankey, let's do this. <laughs> I never thought about it before, you yeah. know, so I, I, I've never really thought about it, but because um, what an incredibly generous act to, to know that 
you can't take care of this oncoming baby yourself. Like you just mm-hmm. can't. And so instead of trying to do it anyway, knowing that it's not going to be a good ride um, to put that child in the care of somebody else. That's, Amazing. it's a hell of a thing. Do you know much about your early days? Well, just your the basics. I mean, both my sister and I are both adopted, both from, we both have different genetic lineage. Um, so she was adopted two years after me. Um, but I was adopted, I was just a couple of weeks old. And what I found out many, many years later, because I found my birth mother when I was about 31, I think. Mm-hmm. And she told me that she held me every day for two weeks before they took me away. So we wonder why I have abandonment issues. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so interesting, right? Because our, like our, our body keeps the score. There's so, so there's so much about that. So you, you got, you got adopted. Um, and so tell me about that. Did you know right away that you were uh, adopted? Was that, is that a secret or was there a time where you found that out? I was lucky. My parents did it right. They didn't do everything right, but I think they did this part right. Uh, So before I could ever, there was never that moment where I was told. It was like, I'm a baby and and it was just part of the conversation. Like, how's my little adopted baby? How's my little adopted boy doing? Like when I was still goo goo gaga. So there was, um, there was no what do you mean I'm adopted? (laughs) That that moment never happened. Um, And then I was always curious always curious and always wanted to look at the adoption papers which were super restricted you know in the 70s and 80s uh like there was bugger all for for information on it but my sister never gave a shit she never looked at once doesn't want to talk about it doesn't want to know a damn thing about it and um it's like these are my parents and that's it i'm like well yeah but what who do i look like (laughs) yeah who do i look like and um so I was always curious. And then the adoption records over the years, they opened up and opened up and opened up. And That's how my sister found us. Yeah. Yeah. And like 2000, 2001, when I got serious yeah. about it and I started making a God awful amount of phone calls, I was just turned into Inspector Clouseau. Uh-huh. Um, I found somebody called a search angel and the search angel are these volunteers that know how to do this kind of thing. And I met him at the archives, which is like the, the museum in uh in edmonton and wow. so there's some archives place and we found um uh, my aunt but we didn't we couldn't tell from like this this line of evidence but it was the first oh my god i have a name <laughs> and i thought that she was the birth mother i thought this is the this is the candidate so i start hunting down uh jill galt until i flip and found her through an ex-husband in the queen charlotte islands and wow. uh, and then i had a conversation with them and he's like wait a second you're after the wrong one that ain't jill it's your it's your sister dallas that gave that kid up i'm like oh tell me more about that and then it was a short run after that and uh narrowed it down until i knew i had the phone number amazing and I, i was at work when i did this and so, and everybody knew what I was doing because I was on this order desk. So I was just waiting for my phone to ring. And uh, after my phone rings, I know I got 20 minutes of nothing, you know, before it rings again. And because it's on a queue. So everybody knew what I was up to. Then I popped up and like to tell the whole call center founder, it was like, holy shit, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to call her before I chicken out. 
So wow. I did. And I called her and I, I pretended to be like a third person, like an investigator or whatever. And she was all like, I was a telephone solicitor or something like, who the hell is this? You know? And I said, uh, well, my name is Mark and my client was born May 7th, 1970. Dead silence. Wow. And she says, well, you definitely got the right number. I'm like, oh shit. Oh, <laughs> she knew right away. Yeah. That yeah. date is in her mind. And uh, so I, I asked her, well, my client, first and foremost, my client wants you to know that he completely respects your uh, right to not be found. And I know, no, no, it's fine. Oh, uh, didn't plan this far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, wow. all right. Well, how would you like to be contacted? Uh, a letter, um, a phone call, what? And she goes, oh, a phone call is fine. I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> Uh, hi, Dallas. It's me. And then wow. uh, I took the next couple of days off work just because I was what, like, what a mess, right? Yeah. Uh, I was just a mess over the whole thing. And, uh, but I met her the next day at Tim Hortons in Lacombe. And it was bizarre because, uh, f- first of all, even pulling into that parking lot, it was like I was w- driving through water. I was just like, oh, it was so difficult. Uh, and then when I walked in, I had the picture and I was looking for the person that was in my mind, which is about a 21 year old woman. Yes. yes. My brain didn't do the math. I was looking for the picture. So I sat in, um, um, and she was there the whole time, but I didn't know it. So I sat in one and I'm just looking around and looking around and not finding, and I'm thinking, shit, she's late. And, and then, so I text her, I think uh, if texting was even was a thing back then. And, um, and then realized, oh, she's sitting. Oh, right. She's not 21. <laughs> wow. Amazing how that, you know, you just, how all of that computes in that moment. Wow. Yeah. But that's, um, uh, just accounts for so much of what a person is, you know, mm. is that, um, that, that genetic link and the wonder and, uh, like, who am I? What is my heritage? You know, yes. like, yes. I don't know. Do you know anything about your biological father? <laughs> tell you off air, but, um, uh, the, the, the truth of, of that, but, um, the, the long and the short of it is that I have no actionable information. I even did a 23 and me, and there's nothing on that side of the ledger, wow. uh, all kinds on, on the, on the maternal side, but zero on the paternal side. So I don't even have a breadcrumb to follow. Wow. What? But you have Dallas. And so then siblings as well. Did you, you find one brother. that out? What, what, one half brother. Yeah. Wow. And we're, we're friends to this day. I stood for him at his wedding a year or two ago. No, that's amazing. Yeah, that was, it was so good. And I uh, got to stand for him and, and uh, he's, he's three years younger than me and he's just started a family. I'm like, oh dude, you're nuts. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So tell me this. So you were raised in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada I was. Uh, by this adoptive family and um, you have a sister and you grow up in this community. What, what happens? What's the story here? How do we get into the army? Well, like a lot of people, I didn't of course know it at the time, but like a lot of people, um, people with high ACEs scores uh, and for our audience, um, adverse childhood events, so childhood trauma, people with really high ACEs scores tend to end up as first responders or military. And there's a direct correlation between the higher the ACEs score, the type of trade that you take. So that the more high risk, like infantry, like I was, 
tend to have higher ACE scores. If you go into special forces, which I was not, ACE scores again higher. There's a direct correlation. And um, so I ended up in the army probably uh, in no small, in no small um, degree because of childhood, uh, sexually um, molested from the age of seven to 12, which I didn't even know was trauma. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know that that was trauma um, or that, or that uh, you know, at the time that how that was affecting me and how it um, completely changed my life. I had no oh. idea. Mark, and, and can you tell me that story real quick? Was that by somebody you knew? A family uh, member. Yeah. Okay. A, ma- okay. a male family member who was uh, a few years older than me. And because my dad had a good heart, but uh, <laughs> he had no ability to be a dad. You know, he was a provider yeah. and, um, but I was raised by wolves. I raised myself, you know, there was no, there's no guidance at all. There's no uh, strong. Um, so when there was an older family member who was a, a male, um, basically took the role of father figure to me, you know, the role of mentor, the mo- the role of, so whatever this guy said was the truth as far as I was concerned, you know, and, and he was my guide into how to be a grown up. Wow. And so when he told me that uh, uh, all the things that a groomer tells a kid, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the things that a predator, I, I was like, well, that sounds pretty freaking weird, buddy. But uh, all right, I guess. But if that's the plan, I don't have a script that would say otherwise, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, had, I, I had no counterbalance. Yes. yes. So I, I was, uh, I was oh, easy pickings for a predator. Oh, easy pickings. Do you remember the, the sort of, point mark in your life where you realized that 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 this this was horrific that this wasn't normal mostly when I had my kids you know really not until then yeah I mean I always knew that it was that uh you know it was uncomfortable but all the shame right so you don't talk to anybody I told freaking nobody not my best friend nobody uh, I, what am I? I'm 53. So the first person I told was my wife, my second wife, after we'd been together for about eight years. Your second wife. Yeah. So your first wife did not know. No, never told her. Never told anybody. That, that, that's unbelievable to me. Amazing. It's, it's not unbelievable. I mean, I, I this happens all the time, but well, I'm so it's all the questions that come up. It's like, you know, especially with uh, all the stigma questions, especially being kind of an alpha male, most people would suggest I am. And it's like, well, are you gay? Well, now I don't care if somebody thinks I'm gay. <laughs> like yeah. what doesn't bother me the slightest, yeah. uh, you know, but um, Jesus in the eighties, you sure didn't want to, didn't want that to be anywhere near you. Yeah. You know, Yes, um, yes, especially. And so so this happens to you. Does anybody ever reprimand? Does this ever become, it, it just obviously doesn't come to light in your family. No, well, the parent of this person uh, actually caught us once. Okay. L- like red-handed pants down, literally. Okay. Like uh, got, getting caught with your pants down. And yeah. so I couldn't have been more than seven, uh, eight years old, okay. you know, yeah. caught yeah. us. And and then the um, uh, perpetrator came up with some bizarre half-baked uh, excuse. Yeah. And uh, it was just never... It was never spoken of again, Wow. you know, so, yeah. uh, so I, I really had no way to know 
if it's okay, if it's not okay, is this normal? I, it, the way um, it was presented to me is that this is the very special types of relationship. And that's why you can't tell anybody because, you know, this is like a secret society kind of thing, you know, secret handshake kind of deal. And, um, and that's what makes it so special, you know, because we have this very, very special relationship, which of course I was yearning for more than anything oh. because I, I had zero with my dad. Right. Oh, my heart. And you said it sort of then stopped at 12. What, what happened? Yeah, I was, well, puberty, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's like, uh, and starting to realize and just be a bit less impressionable. And it's like, and I remember um, when I said, you know, I think we're too old for this. And, and, and he just backed right off and really? said, yeah, you're probably right. And, uh, and then that was it. I remember the, like the, when I put an end to it and that was that. And then it was just, it just never happened again. Fascinating. And how did that, how did that kid make sense of that? How did that little boy make sense of that? Not, not the perpetrator, you, I mean. Uh, I didn't, you know, it was just, I just thought that this was just part of, I didn't know what to think of it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. of course, so but my God, the effects after, I mean, I remember being about 18 and being, uh, I don't like the term homophobe because it's like, well, I'm not scared. It's like homo hate. <laughs> yes. yes. And, um, uh, and it was amplified because when I was 17, I was raped by a, a friend of mine that, or I thought, thought he was a friend. And uh, so you put those two together. It was the molestation that kind of paved the path for the rape. Yes. Yes. You know, and yeah. it was it kind of like it just happened all over again. It was the same sort of th like, here's the person that is my uh, um, my key to the kingdom is because this is the cool kid and I'm not the cool kid. Uh, you know, I'm the one that gets picked on and I'm weird and, and all these things. But you're the cool kid who's accepted. So by having a relationship with you, I'm then I get to be in the cool crowd by proxy. Right? Yeah, by proxy. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, the, you know, so you put those both together, uh, molested as a kid, then, then raped at about 17 ish. Um, man, I had some questions like, am I gay? Yeah. Yes. You know, like, I don't think I am, but like, mm -hmm. well, what is this? Or like, am I a bad person or like, what's wrong with me? And, uh, that just affects everything. So if you, if you fast forward to me being a young soldier, young and eight pack and, and super fit and being in the third battalion, which was the super duper fit battalion in uh, Victoria, you know, uh, then the womanizing, right. One, just cause I could, but, mo but mostly because like, I got to prove to myself that I'm a man, that I'm not gay mm. and, and that I'm a man and what better way than to start racking up the numbers mm. and which is and then the self-loathing that comes after that, because you know, it's wrong. Yeah. But, but it was, it's just the worst kind of addiction because it's uh, where else am I going to get the payoff that I'm worth something that I'm good, that I'm a man, uh, I'm desirable by women that I like women, you know, but, but it's, it was all fueled by that history. All wow. of it. My gosh, how much work you've done to figure out that story and unravel that, that, that tale that is just so, I think, a core of you, obviously, right? And and so help me understand then. So into your, 
the decision to join the army was that any? Do you remember how that happened? Were you just sort of like this is this is going to give do. me a place to land? Well, I I remember you and I disagreed on something on ADD and PTSD being the same or similar. Maybe it's part of the spectrum, but there's got to be some sort of relationship with it, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 ADHD that I experienced as a child was so off the freaking charts, like there was nothing you could do. I remember my mom trying to get me to study and would clear everything off the table. Like, cause anything would catch my attention, anything, right? Like I needed to be in a vacuum bubble for, for, for me to, um, uh, to stay focused on anything. I didn't know that was a trauma response, you know, uh, between my relationship with my dad and being batted around on a fairly regular basis and all the other stuff. Oh my you God, know, the sexual trauma, your body could not relax. Couldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah. I was, nor I was should on, it. nor should it. Yeah. And all the fights I used to get in, my God, I was in a lot of, uh, that was the first little bit of, Oh, I'm good at something. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's my power. I found my power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I can tell somebody no with my fists. Great. Yes. You know, and even though I was little, um, boy, I, I was in a lot of fights and before I ever learned how to fight, it was all just raw aggression and determination would win. It's all I needed. Zero skill. Yeah. Just, just swinging. But, um, you put all that together and all that violence growing up because it was my only survival mechanism to get people to stop was that violence. Um, my, I had no ability to perform in school. So I failed grade four. I failed grade nine and I didn't graduate till I, till just after my 20th birthday. You know, and wow. that's why what, I joined the army. Right. What perseverance. I mean, this kid's amazing to me. Like I already have such an image of this little guy who's just like relentless, right? The world is buzzing around his body. He cannot even focus for more than 30 seconds because if he does slow down, the trauma just takes over. And here he does somehow gets through this in his, at 20, huh? he gets this and then says, okay, I need, here's my next stop. Obviously, this is where I'm going to go. Yeah, well, I wanted to be a medic. And when I, when I got out of the army, because um, I was always a sensitive kid, but I, I wanted not to poke holes in people. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I wanted to patch them up. I wanted to be the rescuer, you know, yeah. and and that was very firmly what I wanted to do. Because yeah. I had a hint when I did uh, Phys Ed 30, we did the first aid. Yes, and I was yes. good at it. I was like, what do you mean I'm at the top of the class? That doesn't happen for me. <laughs> the yes. hell is this? Yes. And uh, so I thought, okay, cool. I want to be a medic. And when I got out of the air of high school, I went, whoops, I screwed everything up. You know, I got the bare minimum marks to get out of high school. So I got to do something and I got to do something that matters. Um, Joining, joining the army because I don't know what that's going to be like, but, uh, but it's a three-year commitment. And no matter what, when I'm done that three years, I'll be in a better position in my life. And I'll have, yeah. have done something respectful, respectable. So I, uh, I go through the process to join as a medic. I had a going away party once I had my ship out date. And then I thought, you know, I haven't heard from these guys and it's getting pretty close. So I go to a Canada place in, in Edmonton and I go, hey, yeah. hey, there's the guy. Hey, guy, you know, uh, haven't heard from you. And he looked at me like, oh, you, you misunderstood. What? 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 What are you talking about? said, oh, you misunderstood. Uh, you competed for the position of medic. 
but you didn't get it. You're going nowhere. And I've never had a stronger feeling in my life. First, I sank into my boots. Like I felt myself turn into a puddle and I splashed mm -hmm. on the floor. And then as I kind of collected myself and I was like anybody looking would have seen I was completely shell-shocked. I had the going away party. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? So oh I, I said to him uh, and the Gulf War had just broken out. And um, I said to him, well, I'm going. So what else you got? Well, news to a recruiter's ears. You know, like music mm -hmm. to, to a recruiter's ears. He goes, well, we got the infantry. I said, fine, I'll take it. What is it? <laughs> wow. Are you kidding me, Mark? Yeah. And then oh he asked gosh. me a couple of questions. I asked him a couple of questions. Hey, do you like camping? And I'm like, uh, and, and actually what really put it over for me is looking at the mannequins. Uh, on, I can just, I, like, I'm in the room as I'm saying this. I, looking at the mannequins on the left and the ones that are, like, all, like, dressed for battle. And I said, is that? that one there is that the infantry and he goes yeah yeah it's like a whole lot of walking around in the woods and and like really really long walks <laughs> shooting guns and stuff <laughs> and uh i said that's the hard one right he goes yeah that's the hardest thing you can do and then i thought about it for about three seconds and went then that's what i want i'm going to test myself i want to see if i can do it are and, you kidding me? Uh, and that was it. So my career decided in like in under 60 seconds or less new career right. path. <laughs> Here I am in the infantry. No conversation with anybody else, but I am in. Oh, my God. OK, so then what was the next step? Uh, well, basic training where uh, I started yep. to realize the gravity of my decision. <laughs> my first night there, I just remember blink, blink, blink. Oh, my God. Three years. What have I done? Yes. <laughs> what yes. have I done? Yes. And and everybody was snoring. And then I really couldn't fall asleep. So I was sure I was the last one just going blink, blink, three years. What have I done? Yes. And and going through the 10 weeks of basic uh, and out hearing other people going, so you went infantry, huh? Are you crazy? <laughs> You're like, shit. Yes. Yeah. And then battle school was really, 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 really tough because your job is to kill. You know, we like to use uh, platitudes and euphemisms, but that's the job. And I wanted to do the opposite. I didn't want to put holes in them. I wanted to patch up the holes. You know, I didn't want to hurt nobody. And now I've got to do this um, emotional shift to being a killer. And that pretty much destroyed me. Like I already didn't have any sort of sense of self or who I was. I had no idea. Yeah. So uh, that, really made me a wreck but I made it through um we ended up graduating the smallest course in the history of my regiment uh, 18 of us started five of us graduated so it was like <laughs> and, and I was bottom of the five I'm sure but uh but I made it yeah you did you know and then off to the third battalion which is the toughest of the three battalions if I had gone to the first or the second I probably would have had like an okay goal you know, but I didn't. I went to the Hollywood Battalion, to the third, which was the hardest, the toughest, the uh, most aggressive. And so that shift still took another couple of years before I kind of found my my footing, you know, yeah. and and then uh, got transferred to Calgary, which was the first battalion. And I was like, oh, look, normal people. Like, I like these yes. people. And um, and then I could fit in easier. And then I was, then I was a my first two years, I don't think I was ever considered a good soldier, but my, um, but I, I was just getting by. 
But my last two uh, couple of years, it was about five years in total. The last half, back half of it, uh, I was generally considered to be a pretty good soldier. And that's when I went to war. And uh, uh, as a peacekeeper in Croatia in 94. And that's, um, talk about pivotal. That's six months, 29 years ago. Uh, <laughs> that sticks with you forever. I can see. I can see it on your face. Yeah, you can feel it in this moment, hey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you were over there for six, six, six months. Yeah, that's the you. That's the usual tour. Okay. Sometimes there's nine monthers. Um, there, there, there's a there's a few exceptions, and and there were people back then that were doing double tours, which is too much, way yeah. too much. Yeah. Uh, but but none of them survived. Uh, anybody that did a double tour, either ended up in an asylum, suicide, or um, drank themselves to death. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay. And I mean, and based on some of our conversations, you know, to date, I know that that was, that was, again, of all the pivotal moments you've had in your life, that was another one that really sort of dug in deeper. When you came back from that tour, what, what was the next steps for you? What, what happened then? Had you, had you been married at this point? No, no. I had a girlfriend waiting for me back home, uh, who was absolutely nuts. <laughs> 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 yep, got it. <laughs> she was absolutely nuts. But um, so that didn't last long because, of course, I didn't, nobody was talking about PTSD then. Okay. You know, nobody was talking about it. Nobody knew what it was. And, um, but there was a shift in me while I was there because there were so many incidents. Um, I'm the only guy I know that hit a tripwire and survived, you know, as just one of the many, 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 many things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I was what they call a shit magnet. <laughs> so like uh, I had an unusual amount of events and um, that coupled in with the horrific leadership, which is really worse than the bombs and the bullets. I didn't mind the bullets. I didn't mind the bombs. That part was fun, but it was being treated like crap by your own people. That was mm. the hard part. Yeah, mm. That was the betrayal of it. And, and there's people 30 years later and uh, you can't, they can't start talking about it without getting angry. All the, and they're all like all of my friends, <laughs> you know, uh, almost without exception. They, it's the same thing. They start talking about that tour and how we were treated and they get angry. Really? It was, it was so bad. Unbelievable. And just a group of people who were so hurt and destroyed themselves trying to lead a bunch of impressionable people, you know, humans mm. there with the intention to do something well, peacekeep. And there was no potential because there was no peace even within your own unit. Is that fair? I, I would say so. Like the, the greatest struggle, we, we weren't worried about um, getting shot or blown up so much, even though some guys did, like Tom Anderson lost his legs uh, and an eyeball um, with a mind blast. Uh, Isfeld, Mark Isfeld, uh, lost his life. I, I, I watched that event happen. 
um, well, the end of it, I saw the helicopter come in and then taken off the helicopter, just like a scene out of MASH, my formerly favorite show. Um, you know, so I've, there was a lot that happened, like just so much. Um, I forget what the question was now. Yeah, no, (laughs) me too, actually. But I, but, but when you came back, then that you you were in this place where nobody even talked about it. So it must have just yeah. felt like you were completely out of your own body. And- well, the, the, the symptoms of PTSD started showing up then. Uh, okay. I, I would have screaming matches over a game of risk. My buddy and Mike uh, and uh, Mike Knight were still dear friends to this day, but uh, it was him I was screaming at. Sorry, Mike. And, uh, <laughs> and we're just playing a game of risk, you know, um, uh, taking over Germany or the Russia or something. And um, like, I still remember that game and what he said to me, you know, about being a grown up. <laughs> and, and yeah. um, but the, it was times like that. And we're like, okay, there's a problem or taking tearing off at Carlo Magnifico uh, threatening to grab him by the throat. You know, I was like, Oh, sorry, sorry, buddy. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. And um, just that intensity of emotion, right? Because your body is yeah. running so high all the time that it doesn't take very much and you're fucking doing things that you can't even believe. And right? I would like to think that in today's world, in today's military, if somebody saw outbursts like that, they'd know enough to go put their hand on that guy's shoulder and go, come with me. We're going for a walk. We're going to talk mm-hmm. to somebody. Mm-hmm. But nobody knew that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So Mark, Mark's just being an asshole, yeah. which, I, which I was, but yeah. I couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It was so yeah. out of the volition that you had control over in that moment. Right. Yeah. And so you get married, you have children and how, how do you manage the PTSD, the, the, the trauma, the ADHD, the, all of these symptoms that are living in your body? I wish I did. Then it's, you know, uh, the first marriage might've had a hope mm-hmm. <laughs> of surviving, mm-hmm. but Part of PTSD is that it's blinding. It turns off your self-awareness, which turns off your situational awareness. And not situational, it turns up the situational awareness as far as threats and whatnot. But um, understanding, it's where equine therapy is so fantastic. You start to understand your own energy and how it affects your blast radius, like the circle around you. And it's like radiation off a cell phone. Like the, you might not be able to see it, but it's there. And um, uh, the... The more dysregulated you are, the bigger your blast radius, like the, the more people you're affecting and you don't know it. Uh, so myself, just like so many others, I thought everybody else was the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like why you got to be like this? Why you got to be like that? Like, why aren't you fitting in my box? Because, you know, I'm the center of the universe. So you should conform to what I want. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns into a, some, into a form of narcissism, really, where the, you know, the world should go the way I think the world should go. And s- s- some of that is just military deprogramming. Okay. You know, yeah. that's, that, that's a chunk of it. The, the rest is, is trauma where you just don't have the ability to regulate. So if there's a challenge, if there's something that's upsetting or um, what you perceive as an insult, which is, an existential threat, like an insult is perceived as a physical threat. And um, everything is heightened. Everything everything is is heightened. Everything's a threat because I just came from a world of, if you have a problem, kill it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the programming. If you have a problem, kill it. Or you'll be killed if you don't. Yeah. Or worse, your friends. Right. 
So, or worse, your friends. And so yeah. it is so difficult. The body doesn't then understand the different situations it's in unless we do the work to get it back there. And exactly. that's the big chunk that for so many of our first responder worlds, we still don't have in place. I would like to say that the military is better. I would like to say that our policing organizations or our EMTs are better, but they're, they're not in so many ways because we still continue to treat our people like shit in training in the hopes that that's going to prepare them for what it's going to feel like on the front lines. And there's no fucking evidence to suggest that's true. And so it becomes really difficult then to how do we navigate from that place of having to be on, on a battlefield, in the front lines, whatever that looks like, to then when you're away from that, letting the body know that it doesn't have to be ready for everything. Is is that the trick, that transition piece, would you say? Well, I'm just um, listening to you, uh, what's coming to mind, and I don't know, I'm probably not answering your question, but I'll try, is the importance of a trauma-informed workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, when so that people can recognize when somebody's where I was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of just going, you're an asshole or you're fired, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, or you're um, reprimanded or nobody talked to that guy or whatever the deal is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't fit in the box anymore. You're fired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Instead, instead of that or ODS or go off. Yeah. Yeah. Re- recognizing it for what it is and dealing with it. And because as you know, I mean, just like any injury, the longer you let it go without dealing with it, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. So if you can get on it early, great. And there's no better way than uh, in real time uh, through critical stress debriefings or, or whatever to go, okay, so you just went through something and here's what to expect. If you see this, this, or this, over the next few months, because a lot of times it, it sits for uh, for two, three months before it starts to manifest. Uh, if you start to see these changes o- over the next six to 12 months, come back. We got to talk. Yeah. Or better yet, doing a checkup with that person. Hey, it's been three months since that horrible thing. Um, has any of this changed in your behaviors? Yeah. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that? And then do and- every three months, keep checking. Absolutely. And it doesn't even actually need to be a horrible thing. It, I think when yeah. you are, one of the things that I like to talk the most about to people who put themselves in very dysregulated positions, like ER physicians and, and nurses, when we would talk about, you know, medics and um, corrections officers, the expectation when you get into this business is that you will step into some very heightened situations. That's actually the request of you doing this work. If you're a police officer, for example, if you're going to the front lines, there, there is rarely an experience in the run of a week where you won't get in a position of inducing, of encoding something in terror. Because it should happen. You should be in the, a heightened state of arousal because you're at the scene of an MBA or you've watched somebody, uh, you know, get hurt or that you've been called to a domestic. The job of your body is to actually go into that heightened state so that you can act and protect or do whatever your job is. The question isn't about the work that we're asking you to do. It's what we do after that becomes the issue because we are wired to handle unbelievable things. We are just not wired to be able to hold on to that shit alone. Somebody has to walk you back home through that process. And when the culture says, when the training says, when the system is not prepared to be trauma, not just informed, but trauma integrated in its practice, it becomes very difficult because so many of those experiences, benign or horrifically 911 traumatic, warlike traumatic, there's no place to be walked back home. 
And unless we do that on purpose and repeatedly, and it's never a one-shot deal, as you said, it's that sort of constant, how do we start to build into the culture that sense of, yes, the, the normalcy around, okay, checking in. And not just because we're checking a box, but because we've created a culture around that would say, yeah, fuck, I'm, I'm not sleeping. And I, I don't know what it is about the ladybugs these days, but they're fucking me up. Okay, let, let's figure that out a little bit, right? And do you have a safe place to land where we can do that, right? And, and do you build that into the organization where it's not just somebody that you have to go sit and, uh, but it's actually like we have the sense of what we do with that? I've seen with organizations from conversations I've had with colonels and mm-hmm. uh, RCMP members is that what, what, what I've gleaned from it is that they're, they're starting to say the right thing. It's like, oh, we're a soft place to land. But in actual practice, not so much. Yeah. And the it, transition is a slow one. It, it it's is. a slow one. RCMP yeah. seems to be the one of the worst offenders from what I've seen, from the conversations I've had. Um, uh, the military has gotten a lot better, though, which is good. There's yeah. progress. And I, <laughs> I'm happy with progress. But the RCMP is still uh, suck it up, buttercup. Well, you've had your three months off. What's, let's go. You're done. You let's get back to now. work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's just so much work to do. And I say this all the time, you know, when I get the honor of working with a police organization where I just say, I don't hold out the delusion that we'll be able to switch this overnight or in in my lifetime. But we are now having conversations like never could have been had even five years ago. And that's what I hold on to, right, is how do we keep, you know, doing things like, I mean, tell me about your podcast. So why did you start that? Operation Romeo? Is that... Tango Romeo stands for for trauma recovery. Come on, Jody. It's not that hard. Tango Romeo. God damn it. I'm had a little reaction. Okay. Uh, All right. So So what, when, why, how did that come about? So the, I already had a show, the Mikey show podcast that I did for about 65 episodes and I kept straying into this lane anyway. Uh, So I had both shows for a little bit, but how Tango Romeo came to be is right at the beginning of my healing journey, which was, um, thanks to my wife, because I was down on one knee yelling at my eight-year-old, what's wrong with you? Why are you spilling crumbs on the floor? Mm-hmm. And then she put her hand on my shoulder and said, Mark, uh, they're just crumbs, buddy. We can clean them up. Mm-hmm. Only she didn't say buddy. She probably said sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And, and then I realized, because I watched his face melt, I watched my kid break. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, Christ. Because we'd already, up to that point, we'd been trying like nine ways to Sunday of uh, having me not be an asshole at the kitchen table and everything we tried failed. Uh, But we were addressing it because I was like, okay, why do I have anxiety over the fricking moon for my kids to eat their vegetables at the table and, and be soldiers, what the hell's going on? Mm -hmm. So I finally made the call, picked up that thousand pound telephone and made the call. And uh, Oh my God, it was so brutal. It was so hard to do, but um, Oh, horrible but i did it and then ended up it was actually the royal canadian legion um who's really can be hit and miss but in this case they were awesome and they helped me out and they kind of started the claim i'm like oh i'm not looking for money you know like a lot of us do and it's like dude just shut up and do what we tell you okay i can do that mm-hmm. and uh, we just started the journey but it still took me over two years before i accepted the diagnosis of um, uh, stress injury but um, there was a 10-month waiting list between like me hopping into the system and doing this weird 10-week useless thing um, and seeing a therapist. It was a 10-month gap. I'm like, 10 months? Come on. I was reaching out because I'm critical here. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, you can't tell it's like waiting in an ER for 10 months, you know, it's like, yeah, 10 hours is pretty bad, but 10 months is that don't work. And, um, so a guy uh, says, Hey, come over here. And his name was John senior. And he was running, um, uh, peer support groups at the time. And I had no interest, Jody. I not, I don't want to sing Kumbaya. I don't want to hold hands and cry with each other. (laughs) Fuck off. You know, like I had no interest, but, uh, I know he's persuasive and I went and then I went again Mm -hmm. and then I went and then I kept going and then I started to see the value and then I started to see myself in others and they saw themselves in me. And and then I started to realize that I really didn't know what I didn't know. And, um, a year later I was running the damn group and that was the birth of the show. Because when I was running the, sh- the group, I uh, realized, like, man, there's people driving from British Columbia, from damn near Saskatchewan, once every two weeks to sit in this group for a couple of hours. Like, this is powerful. Like, they wouldn't be making the drive if this wasn't powerful. Yeah. So I thought, well, how wrong is it of me to hoard this little gem just to our tiny little group of half a dozen? You know, I've got to scale this. I've got to make it more accessible. So that was the birth of Operation Tango Romeo, which I thought would maybe, maybe be 30, 40 episodes. And then what more could there possibly be to talk about after that? (laughs) And then it grew. It grew into from uh, peer support, uh, which is the first 10 episodes, really. Uh, From that into advocacy, well, advocacy at the end. It's turned into that now um, as part of the scope. but. I started finding people like you experts mm-hmm. to have, and you came on early. Like I was, I, I had to really achieve nothing, but you were kind enough to come on my show anyway. And thank you so much for that. A mm. uh, couple of times you've been on, but it's just grown and grown and grown. I even had the premier of Alberta on. It's like, holy smokes, look at me. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it just has, has grown. I'm at 308 or 309 episodes now. And, um, it's, it, it's still going because I'm finding new modalities and, and cause people were like a bunch of kids teaching each other sex education. Like, we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> you know, we're just throwing darts and hoping for the best. Right. So right. on the show is like, well, I'm interested in ketamine. Okay. I got a, I've covered this a few times. Here you go. I'm yeah. interested in psilocybin. Here you go. I'm interested in service dogs. Here you go. here's what they are here's what they're not here's what to accept here's the pros here's the cons here's what works here's what doesn't uh here's who's good here's who sucks you know and 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 like so so many in this space which is what i really loved about you is that when there are no resources you create them and you know you and i've talked about this i think even off the air a little bit you know about how sometimes that scares me right because when we're in this place of being so wounded and we just want we we haven't found any place to land. So we're just going to fucking make one. And then we're in this place of like, we don't (laughs) have a fucking clue, but just let's all come together and be fucking sad together. And so I'm like, okay, oh, whoa, 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 just a second. But what I love so much about the podcast and the group and the the safetyness that you create in bringing resources to people. It's not like, here's the answer, do these things. Here's the things that everybody's talking about in this space because we're so desperate to figure out how to fucking calm our bodies down because we've lost the best parts of ourselves. We've lost, we've lost access to the best parts of ourselves. 
And I think that's the that's sort of the purpose, obviously, you know, for your podcast, but certainly for mine uh, as well, is is how do we how do we find the people who have the resources, the stories where either they've journeyed them themselves or they figured out some way to get back to the best parts of ourselves. And I think that there's so much in that podcast space that you've done that just allows people to to find those resources, to find those stories, the places where they may align with, because it is such a lonely place in this world of PTSD, isn't it? That's why it's so powerful to tell your story, you know, and it's not just my story that keeps getting told. It's uh, the guests that I have on and then they tell their story and what that does for others. It's that, that's your, that's it. That's the peer support group. That's mm -hmm. it. Here's the story. Oh my God, I'm not alone. Oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm not weak. I'm not broken. Yeah. This is an injury and this is how that injury looks. This is, these are the signs and symptoms. Oh, okay. I'm not alone. It's that connection. The injury, like to me, the most devastating in, uh, part of the injury is the disconnection that um, trauma creates. Disconnects you from who you are, from who you are. It's, it's such a fucker. It's such a fucker, this trauma, isn't it? Oh, it is so it's bad because so it, it disconnects you sometimes from your very environment. Like when mm -hmm. I was at one of the, one time I, that I was at the just a horrible low point for a couple of years, I could not recharge recharge my batteries. Like I I used to go walk into the mountains and I'm good, I'm fucking good. I do this once every few weeks, I'm good. Then I go, I'd be in the woods for quite some time, days, and I didn't even I couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel mm -hmm. connected to it, and I was just that numbness. Yeah. Then I was getting concerned. It's like, well, what the hell am I going to do now? I'm not yeah. recharging the batteries. I, I don't yeah. have a refuge, yeah. right? And that was bad. But that's what the injury does. It disconnects you from everything, relationships, um, and reality in some ways, because you're it, it, it twists what you think is real. You know, that's mm -hmm. a threat. You're an asshole. You're out to get me. No, 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 they're not. Yeah. They actually kind of like you and they love you, probably. Uh, isn't that amazing? And so what, what now, what is, I mean, how big are the demons today still? I mean, I, because mm. I think this is some of the normalcy of PTSD or of, of anybody's trauma, anxiety, any, you know, mental health issue is that, you know, it, it really isn't an end game. And mm. this is so debilitating sometimes or deflating for people to hear when I have this conversation with them, you know, about, you know, it, it is hard to sort of get to the end, but my I think what I would just want to say clearly, even before you answer this question, is that like you can find peace and yes. there's moments of you getting back to this place. And once you understand the script to get back there, when your body gets triggered or it takes off in those moments, you now know the way back home. And so can you can you tell me a little bit about that for you? Where where are you at today? I will. I'm going to bring you back to peer support, though, because uh, we used to um, there was myself and John Sr. that would facilitate it I, uh, when he had burnout. I I took over for a while and now he's doing it again full-time as a, as a company actually. Mm. But we, we, we used to chuckle because somebody would show up, they'd get healing because connection is what peer support does if it's done right, or it can really be bad. But mm -hmm. um, if you do it right and it's a safe place and there's no judgment, then it's, then you're probably doing it right. And we would evil chuckle when somebody go, okay, yeah, I don't have to come here anymore. Cause I'm good. I'm good. And we'd be like, oh, fuck, here we go. <laughs> okay, Mr. I'm good. I'll see you in three months when you realize that you're not good. And which every time, 
Did they be back? They're like, I wasn't good. They're like, I know you weren't good. <laughs> you know, like that's, this is what we do. So we will try to warn people about, I'm good now. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh man, that's the road to hell. Yeah. And at, at the same time. While healing, still offering hope. While yes. they're offering hope, right? You're like, healing okay, happens. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so balance that with the truth of healing happens. Healing happens. Like yes, one thing, one thing you don't know, Jody, that that I'll uh, share with you because I've shared it on the show, is um, what year was it? Twenty one, I think it was twenty one. Yeah, it was July twenty one. I attempted suicide, mm. and I didn't. Uh, did I not see it coming? I did see it coming, but I thought I had it. I thought I, I thought I had a grip on that monkey. And that I wasn't going to let it out of the cage. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. I think about this all day, every day from waking to, to sleep and sometimes in my dreams. But, uh, but I'm not actually going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then overload happened. The death of a mm-hmm. close friend who I used to be a caretaker of. Um, uh, and then a betrayal from somebody that uh, was just freaking epic. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, well done. That was a gooder. If you're going to betray somebody, that's, wow, well done. And, um, and I was in total overload. So using my tools of trying to deal with it, uh, got on the motorcycle because this is, this is my tool. This is my therapy, right? A little bit of air wind therapy. And all I did is drive myself to a remote location with no cell service. And I made an attempt with not ever thinking that's what I was going to do. That didn't happen until I was sitting down and trying to regulate. Cause I got this, I got this, I got this sitting in the grass in the middle of the mountains incredibly remote and alone. <laughs> and mm. I got this, I got this, I got this until I didn't. And I, I took a crack at it and uh, survived. Yay. Mm-hmm. And there was something about going that far that I haven't had a suicidal thought since. Now I'm not mm-hmm. recommending an attempt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. you know, Please hear uh, this. Uh, yeah, I'm not recommending an attempt, but mm-hmm. um, the point is, is that I like that is not, there's the occasional intrusive thought, but I'm able to swat it away now, but I've been good for the last couple of years, like good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, it, it's not a constant intrusive thought. I'm not thinking about it all day, every day. I barely think about it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Healing happens and be vigilant. That's the bottom line of that word salad. I just gave you mm-hmm. healing happens and be vigilant. Never let your card down. Don't stop the routines. Don't stop the health care with the self-care. Don't stop the growth. Don't stop the healing fucking ever. Yeah. And isn't that funny, right? It's like, all we want is your body to, to not be vigilant all the time, to, to be relaxed and calm. Yet at the same time, we're also instructing, right? Don't let your guard down. It's this sort of oxymoron between healing. Your body needs to heal and be safe. And what we want you to make sure is that it's, it's also okay if it doesn't, the times that it won't, because that trauma in your bones, that visceral sense is, is a pretty powerful thing. And so being, in that safe place on purpose, getting you around the people who are safe, being really convincing to your own body is important. And then really noticing also that you need to keep doing that, that that doesn't, that doesn't sort of, you don't arrive there. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and to do that, because again, like as you start to spiral, you don't always know that you're spiraling. So have one very honest, sober friend to put their hand on your shoulder and go, Hey, uh, been doing your self-care lately? 
Yeah. It's kind of like asking, yeah. are you off your meds? <laughs> you yeah, know? truly, or where are you at? Or whatever that question is. And if you can even establish that, you know, in the time where we are in, not in a state of crisis, right? Like that's, that's yeah. sometimes the, the most important thing, right? Is that like, what does that look like when we're not in a state of crisis? And so when I notice that about you, Mark, what is the, what is the safest way for me to, to approach that with you? How, how do you want that? Do you want that to come in an email? Do you want that to come in a text? Do you want me to come and pick you up and throw you in the back of my truck? Like what, what is going to be our plan? The third one not, is a good one. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah, that would get be in the van. I'll yeah. explain later. Yeah, exactly. Keep your eyes down. Um, but I think it's like, it, what is that plan for us? And, and I think that sometimes the conversations that we tend to have with the people we love the most when they are at their low, because we get scared and they get scared, which means we lose access to the best parts of ourselves. But in, their, in your best moments, it's like, how do we sort of make the plan for when that's going to happen? Because it, it probably will. Your body will get you back there, even if you desperately don't want it to. And so if for nothing else, you have a plan. And if you never need to execute it, that's okay too. But if you do and you probably will, you've then at least talked about it. Does that make sense thing, to you? This thing about being trauma-informed, right? Like my um, battle buddy is my wife. And she'll be like, he, uh, even though she's dead set against uh, psilocybin mushrooms, they're, they're a real go-to for me. And she's like, uh, been a while since you had the mushrooms, isn't it? Like, <laughs> when was the last time? Oh, like, I don't know, a year ago? She's like, maybe it's time. <laughs> just wondering just oh uh maybe it's gosh. time like oh are you noticing something she's like a little bit a <laughs> little bit they're it. like all right all right all right I'll oh go. my gosh okay so mark Mankey, you are a phenomenal human being what what is next for you what's what's on the horizon uh for the amazingness that is you in this space well the show has reached a uh, cool little breakthrough point. Um, like people are starting to call me and say, hey, come over here and and be, be my speaker for this and speaker for that. And I'm like, well, I can't afford the airport. Like, what are you talking about? We're paying for the tickets. What? <laughs> You're what? Okay. So the end of October, uh, Physicians for Life is paying, like I'm going to Ottawa, going to be staying at the Delta. Yay. And uh, it's just a 20 minute bit. And I got like three or four nights at the Delta for a 20 minute bit. And like, I'm not getting a paycheck, but I'm getting, I'm getting hotel and flights. I'm like, done. I'm in. Oh gosh. That's you know? amazing. And so do you want to step into the speaker space too? Is that your plan? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. You know, yeah. like yeah. I, it, 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 it's easy for me. You know, like uh, if if there's a little bit of a box you need me to be in, it's like, oh, okay, uh, let's see, I'll just do it like this. Here's my bullet points, and like I could just do it. Like, all I'm doing is telling my story in a bridged format. Uh, if, if you give me a time uh, sequence, I'm going to be. I call it performing, but um, I got a speaker's gig. I think it's November 14th at River Creek Casino, so that's a pretty big ve venue. And yes. uh, my my sponsor's putting that on, and I hope it's a full house and um, we'll, hopefully we'll pack it full of first responders. I'm really hoping for one, people in leadership, like uh, chief of police, uh, fire chief, uh, that kind of thing, because mm -hmm. they need to be trauma informed. They need that. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I, I got, even though I'm not looking for it, it's just coming to me and there's more and more of those th that are coming. And um, I think my next step, I, I, Except with you being the exception, I typically don't like being the guest 
you know, I really like being your guest. This is great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, I typically don't like it that much. Um, but I have to do it. And I have to do it more. Uh, that's how you really grow a show is being on other people's shows. So I'm an inch away from the Sean Ryan show, which is like number two in the world right now. Uh, I had one of his top guests on, uh, Dallas Alexander, a little while ago. And uh, so it's it like, it's it's getting there. It's getting there. Yes, you are doing amazing. You are doing amazing. And I am, it's such an honor to have you here. I, I want, where can people find you? Well, Spotify is my favorite, unless you're an Apple person. One of those, <laughs> like my wife. One of those Apple people. And uh, Apple uh, podcast or Apple music, whichever it is. Uh, that's probably the biggest platform. To see the video content, um, YouTube kind of sucks, but it's but but a good chunk of it is there. To see okay. all of the video content, it's the Operation Tango Romeo Facebook page. It's all okay. there. Okay. Um, so all the video content is on that Facebook page, and yeah, most most of the podcast platforms. There's about eight of the big ones: Google, yes. Spotify, Apple. Um, but you know that's where most amazing, people go. and I'm going to put all of that in the show notes uh, for our fellow humans here who want to follow along in your journey because uh, it's just remarkable. You are making so much impact in this space that I think is just so overdue for a hero just like you. So thank you for being here today to this community. Uh, I know you're going to fall in love with this guy as much as I do, and um, I can't wait to see you uh, uh, again um, here next week. Take care of each other. I'm a registered clinical psychologist here in beautiful Alberta, Canada. The content created and produced in this show is not intended as specific therapeutic advice. The intention of this podcast is to provide information, resources, some education, and hopefully a little hope. The Everyone Comes From Somewhere podcast by me, Dr. Jody Carrington, is produced by Brian Seaver, Taylor McGilvery, and the amazing Jeremy Saunders at Snack Labs. Our executive producer is the one and only, my Marty Pillar. Our marketing strategist is Caitlin Benito. And our PR big shooters are Des Vino and Barry Cohen. Our agent, the 007 guy, is Jeff Lonis from the Talent Bureau. And my emotional support during the taping of these credits uh, was and is and will always be my son, Asher. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.